date. Okay, date. I'm reading this from this from the middle of it. So this is from this year, um, August 30th, 2021. Here are some facts and other observations. I retreated from dating at the beginning of my career in 2014 to focus on actuarial exams and to save money and to shield myself from the pain of rejection. Early on, I set the goal of retiring early. I generally am pessimistic about the prospects for continued human flourishing, especially in the U.S. Sometimes I feel shocked and very grateful that we haven't all died yet. I often feel that my job, or jobs, is bullshit, and I have been apt to use evidence of bullshit that I see in others as justification for my own bullshit. For example, I offered to put together instructions for Tyler to use the EXIF tool to rename PDFs, and he said something like, oh, just ping me instead. No longer do I tell people that I absolutely hate IMs and that they're counterproductive for getting actual work done. I've given up on trying to learn to be better at my job since I found out that being reactive and pleasantly responding to IMs is what these people seem to want from me. Anyway, back to one of the prescriptions. One of the prescriptions that I go by is to not lie. That one's common, and I've seen, I've seen the value in it. It's also a JLF and Daniel Schmachtenberger guideline. JLF is Jacob Lund Fisker, author of Early Retirement Extreme, one of my Bibles. JLF puts it like this. Use a system to your advantage, but don't be evil. I woke up with that evil part firmly grasping my mind around 3 a.m. last night. Yes, everyone at work is a bullshitter, but somehow I've used that fact to justify being the ultimate bullshitter, taking study time and not actually studying. I've made this complicated structure of values, goals, priorities, beliefs, circumstances, I failed the exam last year, wanted to take a break to build the MVB while still committing to being an FSA. By the way, we'll note what the MVB is here. It's a shed, the minimum viable building. <laughs> That's fine. It's a mega shed. We'll throw the comments yeah, yeah. in as needed. I'm, I'm kind of... I'm taking a break from this. I'm kind of imagining you like coming in on the intercom to explain yeah, exactly. like, what that yeah. is. But, the, but then I'm like, well, I don't want him to have to edit like non-stop so i have to edit it anyway it'll be fine anyway but then my net wealth shot up and i got even more jaded with actuaries and their work and professional bodies like the society of actuaries and the american academy of actuaries i still don't think life insurance or annuities are very helpful but can't articulate why very well I don't admire many actuaries, save maybe for Bannis, Joe Peterson, and a few others. I made this promise to get a one or greater on the exam. In theory, I could have kept doing this job and revealed the fact that I was done with the exams, but I decided to, what, keep my commitment by lying about my intention to not put effort into it? Their bullshit is not an excuse for your own brand of bullshit. You need to stop lying about this. You are becoming evil, or at least you're letting evil win. 
So you have a few options here. Number one, stop taking study time, saying that you can't see yourself passing the exam. The exam. This will lead to a difficult conversation with Aaron. Number two, quit the job now. Number three, keep lying about studying. Your reward will be more time with the stupid I am light off, but also more of your soul being ripped up like it was last night. In a year, you will not be proud of yourself for this. Think about it. I hope you decide to take action on this. Okay, so I'm going to stop reading now. We're going to talk today about, um, so David, you asked me to do a lessons learned podcast on actuarial science. And you may have thought like, oh, I'm going to come in here with a scathing critique of the actuarial profession or something like that. That's not what I'm about to do. Like, I, I don't have that scathing critique or anything like that. And in fact, like, you know, maybe there's some value in this whole like actuarial business but i can't really see myself as part of it so that is just one one example that journal entry is just one example of um me like struggling with being part of the profession feeling like i like i don't know got into how to say this feeling like I ended up on the wrong path in a certain sense and just generally being confused and a couple extra details in there too, like net worth going up and like the ultimate bullshitter and IMs and stuff like that. So we'll get into all that, but yeah, that's, that's where we, that's where we're going to start today. I mean, we've, we've talked about actuarial science quite a bit. Um, the degree to which it's an amoral thing. I mean, even if it's just something that keeps the gears turning. It's not, it doesn't. <laughs> the, gears the, of, the gears of the world. Yeah. It, you know, insurance is a thing that will exist in a world that's structured the way that ours is. And the way that our world is structured, you know, it, it it's an amoral job. And the problem with amoral jobs is that what you do, your personal conduct matters tremendously in an amoral job. In an immoral job, you're already lost. Yeah. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Sure. In a moral job, you already won, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> so the amoral jobs where it's much more sensitive to your personal actions. So good point. It's it, it's gonna, and I run into the exact same issues. Um, I I seem to have managed them more successfully, and I attribute that to the fact that my work environment is allows me to do that in a way it doesn't seem like yours ever did. Or at least not. It's certainly not at FIS, and certainly not at a handful of other institutions that you've talked about. Is you, the bureaucracy around you was not was not working with you? It doesn't. It doesn't. I guess it seems, based on what you've told me about actuarial science, and we talked about this when you applied to FIS. Um, it seemed valuable in and of itself that FIS was a novel thing for you to be doing. Yeah. And you did eventually fall in a rut with it of some one form or another. And there were other things obviously eating at you. But it does it, it does seem conceivable because for six months of the time you manage it um, to do a job that you're satisfied with in actuarial science. But you have now tried it enough times that it, it, it makes sense to figure out something else to do. Yeah. I talked about um, 
being being a bullshitter. There are a, a couple of other ways that I was a bullshitter at this job, one of which I have not yet shared with you. Ooh, um, so, exciting. <laughs> yeah, get ready for this. So you already know that I was using auto hotkey to keep my IM light turned green. It was my responsibility as part of this job to be, quote, available all the time uh, with that green light on Microsoft Teams. Well, okay, so that's that's a dirty trick that I was playing. Here's another dirty trick that I was playing that I was afraid of being caught for and uh, would probably eventually just get fired. So I'm like, let me just lay it down now. This is one of the reasons why I had to quit, okay? Uh, it's because I cared so little about learning uh, Profit. That was a software that I worked on. Um, and just generally like learning all of this stuff, especially when the constant threat of being distracted by an IM was present. Um, so here's, here's one of the things that I did to do my job properly. I had, um, so instead of actually, here's how I used it. And here's something that, uh, learning actuarial exams taught me about doing the job. Ready? cram for the test for an actuarial exam so you can just like get a six or higher and pass the exam and then forget all the material so that's one thing that i learned from taking the actuarial exams i thought they only went up to five five is the last failing score okay Goes from one all right, that's the, the, they go okay. the scores go from one to ten go from zero to ten zero to five is a fail six to ten is a pass so my point here is get a six, forget all the material, move on. Um, you're, it's basically just a hazing exercise. Like we don't, we, the actuarial profession, don't really care so much whether you've got all the material. Um, it's like, okay, here, maybe here's that scathing uh, criticism that, that you all came here for or not. Like maybe this is just, and, and I think this is actually more closer to the truth here. This is just me being immature and not like getting with the program that the world has laid out for us. Anyway, so what did I learn from the actuarial exams? It's that you can cram for the exam, get a six pass, and then move on. And how I applied that to my day-to-day -day job is cram for the job. In other words, just during a client call. And this worked pretty well. That seems like a lot of work. Um, yeah, but it was, well, it, it actually wasn't a whole lot of work, like in the short term to, to learn one of these, um, one of these sessions, like about assumptions manager or about the LDTI toolkit or something like this. Um, but then over, over time, the memory decay would take over. And I just forget, like, what am I supposed to say? Oh, I'll just go back to the archive and, like, so I would just become, like, you know, the, uh, the actor or the regurgitator. I'm not an actuary anymore. I'm an actor. I'm just, or even closer, I'm not an actor. I'm just, like, a, an, an audio, like, playback machine. So it's like, hey, you need, a, you need an LDTI presentation? Don't worry. I'll hit the play button for you later but it would have to be a live thing. So it's like, there's a possibility of failure there that makes it exciting, ooh. <coughs> um, 
So in a certain sense, it was a lot of work, but in another sense, it was uh, less work and more in line with what I learned by taking the actuarial exams, I guess. I don't know. I have one point that is very much within the conversation and another one which spans outside of it as it inevitably must. And I guess we've already done that a couple of times. So that's not too, that's not too strange, uh, within actuarial science. The purpose of actuarial science is the asymptotic perfection of a formula. So it makes perfect sense that you would aim to get a six out on their test. And it makes perfect sense that you would deliver the absolute minimum viable product to the customer mm -hmm. because that's in line philosophically with what your job is. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, the one, the one that spans slightly outside of that. Um, and I do, I do want to come back to that point cause I think it's funny to think about in the context of the MVB as well. Um, but the mega shed, <laughs> the minimum viable building, minimum viable building, um, is that I, I am impressed with how guilty you seem to feel about having done that because thing, I mean, the, I guess the part maybe I, I'll let you speak on it, but um, I, I guess the other part of this, I assume you feel guilty about is stems from the fact that you crammed for an exam, got a six out of 10 and memory hold it immediately yeah. is that, <laughs> is that you were, you were supposed to be being compensated to know that already. Yeah, exactly right. Like, like for instance, I'm thinking of one of the, probably the most recent um, uh, numerically oriented exam that I'm talking, th that I took, which was the predictive analytics exam. That was the last uh, ASA level exam I had to take. I'm not talking about the life product management exam right now, which is the first FSA exam and less of a math test, which was therefore like less interesting to me generally. Anyway, predictive analytics exam, you learn about like GLMs and, you know, like machine learning, statistical learning, stuff like that. And it's like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is cool. Let's do this. And then I just, all that stuff just completely decays out of my mind as none of it gets used later. And it's like, I want to use this stuff, but why bother? Um, so yeah, that, that was pretty frustrating to me. How many of your fellow employees, not counting Doug, because we know Doug is a savant of some kind, how many actuaries do you think are not playing a charade like that? Because I find it very hard to believe that you're the only one who does that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it just seems it, it seems suspect to assume that that's not a common stance. I mean, people are better at hiding that kind of thing than you are because it weighs on you in such a way that you literally have to change jobs. I mean, so clearly something is at play here and it is different in your case. I just don't know whether and it whether or not it's that. It's one of the weird things with the SAT and the um the GRE um which have always been fascinating tests because the fact that they don't just call them IQ tests and get on with it is a little strange given that <laughs> it's a test that every literally everybody is supposed to take and it's supposed to judge your aptitude to be in school. Yeah. Like well, that doesn't mean anything. Like it's that's a strange metric to use. So I don't think my problem is completely just w 
completely with the actuarial profession or my job or what or the job that I ended up having it was also it was also that I could have let any job that I was doing get in the way that I could have let any job serve this function so I pointed out that I started my career in 2014 and at that time I like put dating on the back burner so I've kind of like let my my career my job or whatever take over a big chunk of my life and that was one of the things that led to the um the dissatisfaction and me just like wanting to to shit all over it it's like oh the world doesn't need insurance and i say things like this to deride the job and like just say like well okay i can just go leave it now and by the way that's that's the point that i wanted to make earlier that i paused on like five or ten minutes ago i do think the world needs insurance like I, I, I don't want you to get me wrong. Like the, the world needs insurance, maybe not to the level that we've taken it. And a lot of it's just like insurance companies competing with other sh- insurance companies by making shinier products and profit. The software um, helps to like facilitate that shininess or whatever. So maybe it's like gone overboard in a certain sense, but yeah, the world does need insurance. Um, but I was the main point that I was trying to make there is maybe it's not so much um, the particular job that I had that was the problem. Maybe it was just like I have I had this tendency to let trying to do a job well interfere so much with the rest of my life, and yeah, that uh, blew up in my face. I mean, for what it's worth, for all of the fits and starts, if your objective (laughs) was to establish a career and get the first leg of a retirement fund together, you were successful. Yeah. It's just that, as usual, it sucks getting what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Could you elaborate on that? You're never specific enough. You leave out the details. Mm. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the, it, it, the conversation pretty much has to pivot in this direction. So we might as well, I, I mean, your, your desire, I, I guess we've already talked about it. Um, your, your desire for specific commitment, um, and the, uh, what the, oh, is it Odyssean? The sirens lashing to the mast, all that bullshit. Yeah. That's, how, yeah. that's Odysseus. Yeah. I mean, you, you seem to like that a lot. I mean, you've you've soured on it this year massively, but I doubt that temptation's gone away because you, I mean, you you built a website around it, even though eventually that you know that ate at you too. But we've we, we literally covered that already on this on this format, so we don't need to go into that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's there, there's something about committing to a thing that is intrinsically honorable and great and also it sucks at the end because yeah that's that's what happens when you become monomaniacal there's a great book on it called uh, moby dick that you're oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> tell me more about that look man this <laughs> you went sailing and that was funny enough but 
I mean, that's the the story of Moby Dick is every story all at once, and we're gonna do another podcast on it here at some point. <laughs> but <laughs> but the uh, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the haters out of the room. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a full on biased fan club podcast because that's what we need out of it. <laughs> but but Moby Dick, the the central character of Moby Dick is Captain Ahab and his whole thing. I mean, I say monomaniacal. That's a phrase that's literally in the book. It's it's basically one man's attempt to do something he cannot do, um, and the use of his charisma and commitment to enthrall a hundred other people in his pursuit of an unobtainable thing and how empowering and cool and awesome that is. And also almost everybody dies. Spoilers. But, (laughs) but I mean, the book doesn't really seem like it's going to have a happy ending on the way up. So that's not, it's, it's not too much of a spoiler, but, but no, I mean, sometimes being incredibly dedicated works out really well. And then most of the time, it doesn't. Because if you knew it was going to work, odds are reasonably good it wouldn't be a lifetime goal. <laughs> There's probably enough unknowns. If there are so few unknowns, I guess would be the way to put it around the other way, um, that you can know for sure that it's going to work, uh, you can probably edge other things in there. So uh, you took a... I mean, a risk is a weird word to use here because a it's an actuarial term, and b it. Um, but of course, again, as I've been fond of saying, both in my personal and professional life, a lot recently, um, everything is a microcosm of everything else. Because <laughs> um, it just seems it, it everything feels recursive nowadays. Like literally, everything feels like it loops back in on itself and is a perfect anyway. Um, no, I mean you. You chose a path. You you committed to it to the degree you that was feasible to do, literally until it broke you. Um, and now here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that I put in parentheses during that journal entry that I read at the top there was um, that I committed to the profession to taking exams basically to the exclusion of everything else so that I could, what, retire early? But the other thing that I sort of threw away there was to also avoid this fear of rejection that I have. Um, so flashing forward now to uh, to a bet that I made with you, coming back to this commitment thing, like tying myself to the mass. I set, like, I think this was after I got the ASA, although I can't quite remember. But anyway, I set this uh, this goal to go on a date, or at least, like, um, do something on match.com, like send a certain number of messages. Look how old I am calling a match.com. It's like just, <laughs> just a match app. It's that's, just, that's, it's just, that went straight over app, me. Right? Yeah, not, there you yeah. go. Look how old you are too. Yeah. Um, but I remember when putting, when, uh, setting up my profile for that, the, the horror that I felt when doing so, I was like, I can't do this. And I turned off my computer and like got on my bicycle and just got out of there. I was terrified. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't just, by the way, I did end up going on that date and not having to pay you the hundred dollars and it was a pleasant evening. Um, and then did I pursue any more of that? No, I didn't. I think that's, 
Okay, it's all coming back to me now. I hadn't yet finished the ASA. I had to do one more ASA-related thing, so it's like no more dating. Um, and d- skipping over details, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then COVID. So, yeah. <laughs> right, so... There's, there's a, some extenuating circumstances we have to work around here. Yeah, but um, th- the point is that, like, one of the reasons why I committed so heavily to, like, you know focusing on doing a job and like taking the exams and so forth wasn't just well let's say it this way one of the reasons i did that was so that i didn't have to face some other ugly realities that i didn't want to have to face yep i don't want to plow directly into this because it'll take us too far off topic but just as a um just as a related aside, um, I didn't go to uh, Match app. I went to uh, OkCupid okay app, and uh, it took me about a month. I just filled in like one. I filled in one field every day for a month until I actually had a profile. <laughs> and then I ran into the problem. I knew I would. It's not necessarily that I'm opposed to putting myself out there in that way. Um, I'm too much of a misanthrope to date anybody. Like mm-hmm. I just don't like. There's some statistic that like guys like like 40% of the women that they see on the website and the girls like like six. Six percent of the men. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, let's say symmetry. My percent has got to be lower than that. I just don't. I don't like I don't like people for the most part. Like just this this notion of and it's. You know, some of it is the monogamy polyamory thing on the side of it is that the there's a weird self-selection process around those two groups. I like monogamous people more, but the bar for me to be in a monogamous relationship is unrealistically high. I just don't like for someone, especially someone I'm meeting online, like it's. It's incredible. Like I did, I never went on an actual date. I messaged a handful of people. I, you know, I, I reached out and just, it always, it always, it, it wasn't like anything was going wrong. It's just like, I don't like, I, I don't want to know you that badly. <laughs> it's just not, that's just not that interesting to me. And that's, that's entirely a me problem. And I'm not, I have not like given up hope on that. I have an opt. I, again, I just, I'm an optimism in spite of my pessimism is basically the way to describe it. It's like I I believe that most things are extremely dour, but I also have like a I I think I literally called this something at some point. It was like industrious optimism or something like that. It's okay. like the idea that if you put in if you put in the work things do actually get better. Sure. I've def I've definitely mentioned this on the podcast before. Uh-huh. I just don't remember what I called it. You're saying locally better? If you No, put no, no. It- just in no, in general. If if people put in the fucking work, things can get better. Yes. Um but if they don't, they get way worse. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's just like the uh, the default state and like me sort of not having faith in in people like doing those things. I'm like, well, maybe that's the reason why things do come apart here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I I just wanted to I just wanted you to know that you're not the only person who has done at least a version of that around here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing too is like I I don't know what I want my what I want my romantic life to look like eventually like one of the reasons that I'm so freaked out by it is because I'm like okay am I making like this monogamous commitment to a person 
forever <laughs> holy shit <laughs> and i already have experience with what like two year long commitments or something like that it makes me wonder how in the world does anybody make a marriage commitment that's like a lifetime commitment to somebody it's a long time oh man and yet it seems like a good thing to do in a certain sense um but then i look back at like my own family history and i'm like ooh like there's danger there be careful <laughs> And that does potentially just have to be the way that it's thought about. I mean, that's that's the weird thing is, you know, I, it's very hard to find maybe, and this is, there's there's different websites and I'm sure, or apps or whatever. And um, I'm sure the attitude in different places is different. But I mean, trying to figure out online if someone is amenable to the kind of bizarre nature of not even just like contracts, but literal just reality that at some point this may dissolve, but we want to at least, we want to at least give it a shot. Like the dynamic of that is just a massive pain in the ass to negotiate, at least online. I mean, maybe once you get in person, it's not as bad. Or maybe you don't have to bring it up on the first date. Hey, I'm in, I'm into monogamy, but you want to do like a prenup or something where we have like a 10-year ten, <laughs> ten renewal agreement? It's like, hold on a second. See, I would trying have to, to enjoy my burger here. I, I would have to get to that point, though. And to get to that point, I have to be interested in the other person. And I, I just... I, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because obviously this is this is its own <laughs> genre of complaining about shit. But... I mean, yeah, and you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to develop a relationship so that you, like, garner interest in other people. I mean, this, this is why, I mean, any friends that are listening to this, I mean, you don't have to be terribly scared of this. Like, as <laughs> as your life intertwines with someone else, they inherently become a more interesting person, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to get it started, you have to try, you have to, <laughs> like, there's got to be something there. And yeah. everybody likes the same five fucking things that I don't like. So... <laughs> Uh, that the people exist uh, beyond those five things. I know, but they won't it's, fucking say it online. Uh, okay, so what do you yeah, do? Fair, fair enough. You, you go on 85 dates is what you do. I but, guess so. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know anything about that. I am a, um, I am a complete tyro at that. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> idle speculation at best, but... All right, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring this back to uh, to another journal entry now. Very good. So this one this one's from uh, a couple days after that first one that I read at the top of this year. This is from October twelfth. Part of me just wants to write "I quit" in huge letters and be done with this fucking ambivalence. Time suck right now. I'm sorry, did you say the date on this one? Yeah, this is, uh, maybe, this is October 12th, so something like two weeks after the one that I read uh, earlier. This year? That's right, yeah. Okay. yeah. Ambivalence time suck right now. While sitting next to the lake around two hours ago, I was speaking to myself. One of the things I said was more or less this. You feel tempted to rationalize this decision to quit with pencil and paper, but that's not the only or necessarily correct way. But I have to have airtight logic and I have to use all the data, for example, the last five months of quality scores, before I make such a step. Well, no. Decisions are often hard because the options are all good.
you make a decision, the right one, with proper follow-through, you actually do not need all of the data. That's impossible anyway. You need a few key points. So here's one. I am thoroughly uninterested in learning profit or anything adjacent to it. If I were going to do it ever, I would have by now. So the next thought is then get another job. Get another job that is not actuarial now. For example, go try to work for Tristan and crew at the Center for, for Humane Technology. Finding a job while you already have one is easier than while you don't, so they say. There is some truth to that, but the alternative I have in mind beats it. Instead of getting a CHT job, a CHT-like job now, take two to five years worth of sabbatical and have your adventure and develop other parts of yourself that you've let atrophy. Then if you want to, come back and get a new job. Having the story to tell will be just as valuable as being currently employed during a job search. And even better, it beats ever having a firing on your record, which is where you're headed now if you stay at FIS. And pausing from the journal now, gets back to the points that you and I talked about earlier, like the OBS stuff and the auto hotkey stuff and like all that garbage that I was engaging in. Like they would have found me out. Maybe at some point, but there's also the <laughs> fascinating caveat that your entire department left this year. Yeah, so yeah. it would have taken them a little longer, I bet, to pro figure it out. Probably correct. Probably correct. Anyway, back to the book. There's my path back. Leaving would not have an irreversible irreversible negative outcome. That's a quote from Tim Ferriss's definition of risk. There's a case to be made for that staying would be the irreversibly negative action. Yes, I would have to pay a certain amount of money to do this, and that sucks. Or does it? Maybe that could be framed as a way to buy my trust for the next few years and to encourage much greater care when designing pacts for myself and others. Getting back to the Odysseus thing there. How about the issue of the MVB? If you are to do the sailing thing, you won't really need it. Well, easy. Just finish it with David and maybe work out some deal with him, be it a buyout or a part-time or partial share ownership, or just walk away. Anyway, a lot of the value of that project has already been realized in the act of building. Now I have, I have gained DIY experience and some level of bonding with David, both non-trivial. I just took a quick bit <laughs> I just took a quick break to be irresponsible with my caffeine intake, and the barista asked me about how my sailing is going. I lit up as I told her. Smiling, I went outside. I saw a sign with Gandhi's be the change and so on. More <laughs> smiling. Then laughing as I joked with myself about, <laughs> about what I'm doing here in this journal, trying to get to the bottom of the page, which I'm actually doing now, trying to get to the bottom of the page with, so I should quit QED. Well, I can't, I can't prove that quitting FIS is the right move, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I, then I wrote down my commitment. My final day with FIS will be on or before November 1st, or else I'll part with some more amount of money um so yeah that's that's uh where i made the decision to leave and then how many days 
Um, I was, that was the 12th that I wrote that down on. My last day was October 1st. So I said earlier that, okay, now I'm confusing matters. I said earlier that that journal entry was October 12th. It was actually September 12th. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, and my final day was October 1st. Yeah, that's okay. I was I, I was confused about yeah, that you, um, be, if, yeah. for good reason. Yeah. Um, so you blew your um, you blew your name change too early. You should have gone with Odysseus. That would have been pretty funny. Less convenient, but, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But it would that that's what you were going for. You wanted a name with some hamming distance on it. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But you only get one name change allowed during your lifetime, and I've already used mine, so... That's fair. Yeah. So, again, I want to... Regardless of what you do decide to do, surely there's something about what you learned over the last X years, being an actuary, <laughs> that are of some value. This was not merely a cash transaction, time for money. You learned something while you were there that will be of value. And I want to know what it is. Because you talk a whole lot about some extremely cynical lessons that you learned. But this profession is still a profession. And you went into offices and you worked online and you worked with people and you sold people stuff. You did a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And surely there was something going on there that will work for you regardless eh, regardless is a little strong because it does depend on what it is it is field dependent <laughs> but what did like you what, learn what skills what skills have i acquired through being through ostensibly being an actuary for the next couple of years what have you brought from the journey to your destination I'm feeling terrified right now because I, like as you're asking me this question i'm just like completely blanking like like i've <laughs> i've i've learned I've learned how to be, you know, on the list of careers, actuary is right next to actor. And I've been the actor the whole time. And I've learned that, like, it's like I got kind of confused there. I was like, oh, what am I? I'm an actuary? Shit. I thought I was just an actor. All right. I've learned that it's profitable to act like an actuary. And presumably, I can just, like, you know, act like something else. That'll make me more money if I want to do that. I'm the ultimate bullshitter, like I said earlier. So, what did you learn about acting? Come on, you had to have gotten pretty good at it after a while. I'm also reveling in the fact that this was described as a lessons learned for actuarial science. And when I asked you what lessons you learned, you have absolutely no idea what to say. Yeah, I know. Um, and this this is one of the things that was terrifying me, not only like while you're asking this question, but just in, quote, preparation for this podcast. Like, I really don't have a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot to show for this. That seems so strange. Yeah, I know. I, uh, it, it seems literally incredible because y y you did it for long enough 
that you did, in fact, take away or learn something from it. And even if it was just the nature of bullshitting, there are people who are better and worse at it. And a lot of people get fired for being bullshitters and you never got fired for it. Mm -hmm. I, were you even ever caught out on it? No. Yeah. So clearly, I, I mean, unless you just think you were that much of a natural at it, I guess that's possible. It's not like, I'm sure other people were engaging in their own brand of bullshit. Like I pointed out earlier, it's like pe people are bullshitting. So I'm going to justify my own bullshit by their bullshit. Um, Like one example of this bullshit, I guess th this is a lesson learned. It's like, just be reactive. You don't need to actually, you know, get better at this stuff. Just pleasantly respond to somebody's IM or email or I don't know. Okay, so one of my functions as a pre-sales guy for profit was to um, when my boss, Doug, would make some kind of like accidentally awkward comment on a client call i would like divert attention away from him with some kind of excuse me funny joke <laughs> right or or some kind of like oh he didn't mean that or I, I i don't know i can't an example is not coming to mind right now but just diverting attention away from something like that and getting excuse me a chuckle from people seemed to be my value add and, and it was specifically a chuckle. It wasn't. It wasn't like diverting the bad vibes in your direction. Not. No. 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 I'm. I'm not like absorbing. Uh, absorbing bullets or anything like this. It was just like to to kind of uh, ease the situation a little bit. I'm being reminded of literally every time someone has technical difficulties, and specifically the um the worst one of all, which leads to the worst joke of all, which is uh, every time someone's on mute. And then they um, realize it, and they press, and they say, "Oh, I was on mute," and everyone laughs. I have not done it yet, but I have been so close <laughs> to making a scene over that. And the problem is, I can't do it. <laughs> the problem is, I can't do it with enough people to drive home what's happening. It would have to like spread like a rumor or something. I want to be like, "Ha, that's really funny." <laughs> And then laugh. And I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. I'm. There's going to be the one day where I'm, fe we're, we're, I'm feeling we're... like I'm getting there because I've, I've cultivated. And again, this is, this is sort of like the, the difference between, I, I want to drill down into this because it is, it's one of the differences between the way that you and I have operated in our jobs um, is that the notion of going through the motions like hurts me in such a way that I can't do it. Um, I will definitely cut this part out, but like I like because I don't want to give people the impression that I'm always available. Yeah. Like I, I, because I'm not like I will burn out if I work as hard in the next four months as I did the previous four months. My boss knows that and I need everybody else to understand that. Um, so I, I'm going to take actions necessary to make that happen. And if that means other than for very, very important people at the company. Um, but I don't get too many of those calls. Yeah, I was I was doing this in the beginning. So I was, fuck that. I'm going to continue like learning assumptions manager or something like that. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm actually using my time well. And I'm engaged in trying to learn this so that I can deliver good presentations to 
two clients in the future. Like this is back when I cared and wanted to learn more about profit and wasn't like exclusively just hitting the play button like I like I described with OBS earlier. But then eventually I got like kind of called. I I got called out. It's too strong a way of saying it. Um, But it's like, Matt, you should really show up on these calls. And it's like, all right, I guess I can do that. But here's where you're going to sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice like my time learning this stuff. I mean, not all of it. Like, I still do have some time to do to learn Assumptions Manager or the LDTI toolkit. But if you're going to keep dragging me into these calls, there's going to be less of me for this learning. And there, more and more of that just started to pile up. And I'm like, did I just you don't tell do them this. that? Yes, you yeah, did actually yeah. tell I, them. I, that. Okay. I, sh- I shared this. Uh, I'm, I'm mainly thinking of Doug uh, at the beginning. And I shared it with him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. But on the other hand, it's like, you got to keep up appearances or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Um, at the cost of, like, wanting to be good at my job. Yeah. No, I, that, was, that, was just a, that was just a poor managerial decision on Doug's part. Yeah. This, and, is, this, and, is where, this is where I think this is leading, is that you had the capacity, even if you don't care about profit now, it doesn't feel like it's impossible that you would have developed a situation where that didn't happen. I agree. Yeah, I, I could have gotten good at this and like wanted to care about it. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm looking at myself like passing the responsibility of this off to somebody else right now. And I don't like that. But, you know, I, I just didn't care enough. Well, but it, he is your boss. I mean, you, you have to... You have to, in some capacity, sat. I mean, I guess the literal way to say, I was going to say you have to do what he says. That's not true. But you do have to satisfy his requirements to keep you employed. And mm-hmm. when he's telling you that, I mean, if if that's a problem, and it's not, it's not like you didn't give this a shot, what, four times to find a place where this was sat. I, there's, there's clearly I a trend. Jobs, yeah. yeah, there's clearly a trend line there. So if that's endemic to the profession... It certainly seems like it was. Uh, I, I don't know if it's endemic to the profession so much as it is just like my weird interaction with it. And, and, and also like the reason that I bounce around from job to job is because like, what is that the symptom of like a psychopath? I was doing the psychopath thing where it's like, oh, I'll just get in here and like extract value and then leave before anybody catches on to me or something like that. That's that I think is like part of what I was doing there. That's a cheap excuse. I don't, you, you clearly care too much. The fact that <laughs> the fact you couldn't go through the motions strongly suggests that you don't have psychopathic tendencies because the psychopath wouldn't care about that. You okay. would just wait through. I mean, this is, it, it it's yeah, it's easy I, to it, it's easy to use that excuse for that kind of behavior, um, but the fact that it nod at you strongly suggests you don't have it. Okay. So, I you know even if you can quote unquote turn it on, if you if you're if you are a good enough bullshitter, which you seem to have demonstrated that you can get away with it, that's very different from having the innate characteristic of enjoying the suffering of others, which you don't seem to do very much. Um, the ultimate bullshitter. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right, though. Yeah. Okay, so it's too easy. It's may, it's too I'm easy an explanation. Psychopath. I don't. It's it's a boring explanation, honestly. Okay. <laughs> but um, at my third job, uh, I was 
I was having a good time for a while there at Deloitte, um, especially when the uh, when the study program got turned on and I actually had exam support. It's like okay, I'm like having kind of a good time here. When um, wasn't didn't it start and then die? Yeah, so I got hired there at twenty eighteen at and and at that point like they were still unclear even on what a study program was. Oh oh right. My bad. Yeah. I had I had it backwards. I mm -hmm. thought you started with and they cut it. It was the other way around. Um I started with no study program. I advocated for it for myself and a couple of my coworkers, a few of whom didn't take advantage of it when the iron was hot and never got the opportunity to do it, which sucked for them. Um, but I got it and Javi got it as well. And then I was having a good time in 2019 from like, I don't know, between February, maybe April or September, August or September, I mean. Um, and then like I lost a study program and I'm like, all right, it's time to start finding a new place to go. This job sucks. <laughs> When I was saying whether it's endemic to the profession or not, I, that was that was not quite a um, that was not quite a complete thought. It was that it doesn't matter whether it is whether it is the profession or it is you in some sense that is causing that. Um, there's something about the environment of the kinds of places that you have chosen to work, uh, and you have chosen to work at all these places. You've never been for the the closest you've been forced to work somewhere was when you were concerned that you may never get a job again that was job number three Deloitte yeah yeah that was after uh after the failure of habit test in my summer like circling the drain in 2018 yeah uh, how many jobs did you get rejected from application wise in that time I think zero okay <laughs> I thought that was the number you were gonna yeah, say yeah but I I applied like to so few places yeah, that, uh, that that also lines up. Yeah. Because I was terrified. I was like, oh, I was just bullshitting at my last two jobs, and I remember, like, basically nothing about it. Um, but then I was able to successfully bullshit my way through an interview for a job that I didn't actually apply for, but rather was reached out to uh, on LinkedIn for. Hmm. Is Habitus, like, your greatest failure? Is that, like, the one is what do you consider to be failures of actual commission? Yeah, I would say Habitest is my biggest failure. Okay. I'm just curious because, I mean, the, the fear of rejection thing, obviously school indoctrinates that, but I guess you didn't have any, you didn't have any like seminal version of that during school where something catastrophic occurred. Um in a professional capacity is why I, I'm hinging on school. Obviously, you've had tragedies occur, but not a. Um, I mean, you haven't you haven't had a a massive professional gap. It doesn't sound like that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hmm. It's hard to recommend them, but it's I. I wrote a couple of times in my, well, I experienced a couple of times like going into a client presentation being like, this is going to be the one that I fucking blow. <laughs> um, but each time or many of the times that I had that thought, I was like, it'd probably be good for me to blow one of these presentations. And having that thought was, um, is the word palliative? It, it, it was, uh, <laughs> 
when I walked into the presentation in my bedroom, which is also the office, I was like, well, if I blow this, then it's probably going to be fine, probably going to be instructive. So that was helpful for uh, getting through the presentation. And Habit Test was not in a professional environment. That was that was off on its own. So it's its own. What it, What would you consider the greatest failure you've had within the profession itself? Um, exam failures come to mind. Um, within the profession itself. I guess not being promoted, not getting the transfer to core Deloitte was a pretty big one, I guess. But on the other hand, I didn't really see that so much as a failure as much as just like a political thing that I was just kind of caught up in. So I never, I don't think I ever really framed that as a failure. So why am I bringing it up now? I don't know. It's because I'm kind of reaching. Um, what else? Now, I, I guess that I just feared failing and simply left whatever job I was at before I could have the opportunity to fail. It's like, <laughs> like I spent between one year and a year and I spent between one and two years at each of my jobs. And this is before like I, so, so that having that short of a time frame at any job, remove the possibility of me like actually having to be responsible for any of this stuff like ultimately responsible for anything so I could just like kind of skate by so I had no I guess I had little opportunity for failure and that kind of sucks I don't know you can fail in two years I've done it before I pulled it off I think in all three of my jobs I think I've pulled off a spectacular failure yeah it, it can be done it can be done. I, 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 you didn't have a, um, you've only had one like customer facing job though, right? Just the FIS one. Or did you talk to clients? Think about that. No, I talk, I talk directly with clients, um, at Deloitte as well. Okay. All right. Although there I was more shielded than I was at the FIS job in the sense that, Almost always I had my uh, my team lead on the calls with me so I could just like defer to him. This is really no lessons. It's nothing nothing within the field. I, I'm sorry, man. That's, that's <laughs> so weird. That's so, that's so strange. What's your favorite actuarial science factoid? What's the most fucked up thing you learned in actuarial <laughs> science? <laughs> the most fucked up thing that I learned. Actuaries take Microsoft Excel and torture it for their pleasure. (laughs) Devastate Microsoft Excel. But you sold the solution to that. Yeah. Profit. But that sucked too. And now it's called the IRS. Profit's fine. I mean, I... It's it's annoying. It's it's got an old-looking UI. It's clunky. Um, but I'm sure it does what it needs to do. Maybe. <laughs>
That's, that's an, um, that is an amazing answer from a pre-sales consultant for the software. I don't represent profit anymore. That's though. fair. <laughs> I'm just... Oh, that's funny. Oh, man. I've got nothing for you. I, that's, so, that's so weird. That's so strange. Like, I mean, I guess I can test myself on this. What have I learned that's funny about data? Uh, I taught... Um, Todd is way too strong. I was in front of a bunch of third graders earlier today um, for a teach. I saw the sticker. Yeah, for a teach-in thing okay. where I had to describe what I do for 15 minutes. And I filibustered like hell to not talk about what I do for a living now. <laughs> um, and I did fail to explain what I do now. But I turned that in. I spun that into a moral because I was like, and I can see how all of your eyes are glazing over as I explain that I take collateral from projects and develop those into a root cause CLCA. And then I just send. But here's the cool part. It's the best job I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even describe what I do. And it's awesome. And then I, uh, everybody, as soon as I said that I get to play video games and do a podcast whenever I want, everybody just wanted to talk about video games for the remainder of the Q&A. And that's what jobs are all about. That's... It, it, what five of the kids in this class of 25 uh, want to be either youtubers or gamers for mm -hmm. a living only so, five yeah um yeah they okay. they get further into that as their hopes and dreams die off but um my job was to pull them back in and say look you can do absolute bullshit for a living it'll give you the money and time you need to do the other stuff so that's the other way I go about it. That that was basically my my gift to society this week was informing twenty five children that uh, YouTube is honestly probably a stressful profession and you're probably better off just doing it on the side. You can get basically fired at any time from YouTube. Well, yeah, no, it's 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 not a great life. Mm -hmm. It's not a great thing to rely on. Yeah, but um, God, I don't even know why. Oh, I brought that up because. Um, because my job, no, that wasn't why I brought, I don't know what. Because I was struggling to provide you with any Oh, kind of, oh, yeah, with lessons learned about my profession. Um, the profession of enterprise data warehousing. Um, what have I learned that's exciting or interesting about this? Um, people also use Excel a lot in a profession that is literally centered around a more powerful version of Excel. <laughs> um, all we do is sell database software. And everybody uses Excel anyway. That's an interesting factoid. Um, there's way, way, way too much information. And we need to cut down on it. <laughs> We're collecting way too much data. And don't tell my boss that. But um, it's... It's, it's not good. You're saying generally like society is collecting too much data or, I, or your company is? I had an essay. I probably still have the draft of it somewhere about my assertion. It was it was part of a series I was going to do called Cold Takes. Um, <laughs> one of them was that most data can be safely deleted. Like just a tremendous fraction. And when I say most, I mean like 99% of data can be safely deleted because no one is ever like, even if it were useful, no one's ever going to touch it again. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, for the sake of record keeping what we do at our company, we're, we're not like a file storage system. Like we have backup shit. That's its own thing. This is just data that is actively available for like massive transforms and in just at anybody's fingertips for creating like sophisticated reports. 
that nobody needs for any purpose at all. Just none. No one needs that shit. Um, and that's probably the most immoral part of my job is the amount of fucking electronics that get wasted storing and being capable of doing all of that stuff. Uh, which is counterbalanced by the fact that it does actually do some work. Um, but that's also an extreme... You never know what 1% of that data you're going to need, man. No, and that's that's why they just keep all of it. Mm-hmm. That's, they never throw it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why they don't throw any of it away. Uh, but that's also an extremely cynical lesson learned. So maybe the lesson here is that if you do an immoral job in the technical sector, <laughs> you don't actually learn anything. I mean, that can't be true. It, this has to be one of those things where, you, you know, you, you read a book from cover to cover and then someone asks you what the book's about and you can't summon more than like two sentences about what it was talking about. There's definitely that. And there's also me not wanting to sound like I'm any kind of expert because I wasn't paying attention as I was like letting all this stuff just kind of blow by me. It's like one of the things that comes to mind is, but that I'm hesitating to even bring up is in my first job, it was uh, in long-term care insurance. And the, the idea there with that job was like, oh, whoops, we mispriced that insurance product in the very beginning. So now, Matt, come on in here and like help us raise the prices on these people that bought these policies a long time ago so that this block of business can stay solvent. And I was like, that's kind of not fair. It's like, you guys lost fair and square. So like, let them have the cheap insurance. Like, no, 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 can't do that. And I'm like, that seems kind of odd. Um, I don't want to do this job anymore, so that's, I left that job. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting question. Do actuaries do actuaries treat their job like gambling? Uh, <laughs> no, actuaries are generally pretty risk averse. Actually, yeah, risk is opportunity. They say, or the website says, actuaries.org or like beanactuary.com or something like that says, risk is opportunity. However. Actuaries themselves are pretty risk averse. There's little opportunity going on around there. They just capitalize on the risk. They're like the, you know, the, for the gold rush, the people, the actuaries are the people selling the pickaxes. Yeah. They're not out there like looking around for gold. <sighs> Man. Hmm. But yeah, other than that, this is. Uh, so now you've been reading this book for the last six years. What was it about? And my answer is <laughs> fucking crickets, man. I got nothing for you. You got um, really good and, at pretending to read it. Just thumbing through. Yeah, I, I literally remember um, at one of my jobs, like setting my computer. This was my second job, Voya. I set up my computer monitor such that my boss, who was sitting like behind and to the right of me, uh, I set up my computer monitor so that he could just barely not see what was on my second monitor so that I could pretend to work there. I was like, well, we we don't have anything else to do today, but I still need to be here. So I'm just going to like, I don't know, learn Python or something. That's a skill. What, pretending to work? No, learning Python. Learning Python, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess so. If you can get paid for it. Uh, my job there had nothing to do with Python. I was just kind of interested. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it would come in handy one day. You never know. Your boss doesn't know. As long as your boss literally doesn't know, then you're okay. So. Yeah, I had to. Yeah. So pretending to work is a valuable skill in this and probably many other professions too. And I hated it. Yeah. I hated that about myself. It's like, oh, I'm just sitting here pretending to work. Like I could be 
doing something else with my life. That leads to an interesting, I mean, that does seem to be the overall lesson, um, is that you are extremely good at performing tasks to a minimum requirement such that no one is bothered by your performance. And that I you, would even sometimes get like exceeds requirements yeah. in my reviews. Yeah, so it wasn't even simply the minimum stuff. Like I was doing pretty well sometimes. Yeah, the you gave the appearance, and we don't know what's actually in the minds and hearts of any of your employers. So uh, maybe it was in fact satisfactory in some capacity. I mean, measured against the science of actuarial science, maybe not, but. You know, maybe it was, in fact, what they needed from you. Um, but we know that that core competency of yours is something that you completely despise. So <laughs> looking forward from that, since looking backward seems like it'll be tremendously unhelpful based on the context that we've grounded here. Um, if you were to do a more um, either moral job or you can just go full black pill and just go for a fully immoral job... Um, what would you, because <laughs> one of the weird things about moral jobs, especially in a society like ours, is that they frequently require people to prove that what they're doing is effective. And in fact, there's an entire movement around, um, if you, you could call it effective altruism. And I guess you've got, I guess you have a, um... I mean, you already mentioned something. I, I'm forgetting its name of an organization that you were looking at. Center into. for Humane Technology. Yeah, uh, the people what, that put out the movie The Social Dilemma. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to like end this on an existential note. But when you discover that they spend a tremendous amount of their time um, pretending to do good in spreadsheets, uh, what, what do you do then? Because I will bet. Almost any NGO does this, that they spend a tremendous amount of their time mocking up that kind of thing. Because that, that grind is very real because someone is lying. And the problem is that when one person lies in a system with feedback loops, everybody has to lie. Yeah. Um, like you need, you need a defense yeah, I mechanism. I, I forgot about that, but that... Okay, that that sure that sucks. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if we're gonna keep this society thing like going forward, and not like have the whole thing shake apart, then we need to try something. Yeah. Um. So even if it's like inefficient or whatever, and people are like faking it in spreadsheets, even at a place like the CHT, like what other options do we have? Well, that's that's kind of what I'm curious. I mean, if there is, it, because it, 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 specifically, it's it's not that you wouldn't be doing any good. It's it's not like it would be a complete waste, and the potential to do good is there regardless, yeah. because that is like sort of the mission. Um, I'm just curious because you're in a short term, going on midterm capacity, probably even in an organization like that, you're going to run into this problem again. Like it's almost certainly going to rear its head, um, unless you get very lucky. Unless you end up with, you know, the kind of boss, like I, I lucked my way into a boss who, you know, she occasionally gets tempted by metrics because she has to present, because again, everybody else is lying. You do have to present something. 
um, you have to bullshit a little bit. Um, what can you do based on your experience from the last handful of times you've had to do this? I guess that is sort of the lessons learned. Maybe this is like meandering towards and maybe the lesson hasn't been learned. It just has to be explored is what can you actually do to defend yourself from that outcome? Because surely there's something that can be done about it. I mean, obviously the nuclear option is you leave, but it must, it must be possible. There's gotta be something. I'll let you know in that two to five years from now, when I'm able to go back into this world, I guess. Very good. Like I, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah. Or maybe the answer is I just don't go back to something like that and instead like just build minimum viable buildings and work on sailboats for the rest of my life. Maybe that's okay too. That doesn't sound too bad in the grand scheme of things. I mean, so it, you have tried in your attempt to fight back against that. You have tried telling your boss the cost benefits of doing that. You have done that. You told Doug that this there's a cost to this fakery, and that didn't work. That's right. And another example of that was when I when I would turn my uh, instant message light to do not disturb and say like, "Hey, here's when I'll be back." But right now, like I'll be back at two p.m. But for the next two hours, I'm reading about subject X Y Z, and then I'd be told like, "Matt, you shouldn't do that." It's like, okay, I guess I won't do it. You you specifically called that going into monk mode before. Monk mode, yeah. Okay. Did you did your message actually say specifically what you were doing? Um, occasionally, I can't remember um, whether I did it all the time, but I'm pretty sure that like a good portion of the time I would write a comment about what I was doing, like what I was reading about or what client presentation I was getting ready for. Okay. So it wasn't. Maybe, maybe sometimes I would just write like monk mode, although I don't, it's such a long time ago now that I can't remember. Um, but, but I, I certainly at least a couple times wrote down exactly what it was that I was working on it. And I think like now, now talking through it, I'm pretty sure it was more than a couple times because I, I generally do this thing where I try and see something from the other person's perspective. It's like, how, how is this, how is this going to land with the other person when they see this um this message on my i am thing it's like and i don't i don't want them to have the feeling it's like what does matt think that he's better than me like he can just go into this it's like oh matt's like getting ready for client xyz by reading about this thing that he's gonna have to do okay now i understand so i think i would have done something like that okay um do you have any examples of pushing back against that outside of fis I know Voya's or not uh, Deloitte's an interest is a side case just because there was shenanigans going on with Deloitte. But mm -hmm. do you have other examples of of pushing back on that? Like, wh what caused you to become a fraud at your other companies? <laughs> what um, what caused me to be a fraud at Deloitte? I mean that one. I, that one made sense because Deloitte back like they backtracked on stuff on you. So no, I I don't think I was. I don't think I had the feeling of fraudulence at Deloitte. Actually, um, I definitely had it at Voya because I remember like writing, on my blog, rest in peace now, um, 
that I was like doing it again. It's like just kind of bullshitting. It's like my boss thinks I'm doing this one thing and really I'm doing this other thing because like this doesn't matter. The thing that I was working on ultimately wasn't going to matter because I was told sometimes it's like, hey, Matt, remember that thing you worked on last month? Sorry, it doesn't matter. It's like, okay, thanks. Um, so that happened at Voya, my second job. But I don't think that I was doing this whole bullshit thing at my third job. I think I was like, yeah, I don't think I was phoning it in there. Yeah, Deloitte, again, I, Deloitte, they, betrayals may be strong, but it sounded like at Deloitte, they, around the study program. It was pretty close to betrayal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I walked out of Deb's office the day that, that we had the conversation about getting the study program. And I, I walked out of that conversation thinking like, she has no idea what she just promised me, does she? Um, like, she she gave me something of value. The value of the thing that she gave me was between like twenty and thirty thousand dollars per year, and I got the sense that she was, she. I got the sense that she thought, oh, I'm just giving this guy like, you know, five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars worth of value. And it's like. So I, I asked her a clarifying question before I walked out of that room, and I'm like, so you're giving me the study program that the core consultants get? And she's right? She said, yeah, that's right. And I thought to myself, okay, like I'm getting this basically 20K raise right now. Yeah. Um, and then that was taken away eight months later. But after I finished getting the ASA, which was the important thing that helped me get uh, three job offers out of three going to the next place. Yep. Well, so that covers those two. And then Voya, they literally told you the job wasn't important. So that's not good for morale. That's, that's me being too cynical and too strong about it. But yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was told basically that a couple of times. Um, and I was, I was just thinking to myself, it's like working at this like third rate, like life insurance company or whatever. And by the way, um, about it, I think it was like a year after I left that place, they just like shut down the whole life insurance arm. (laughs) Okay. Um, before, and, and they had like all the layoffs, uh, shortly before I left and they merged the life insurance and annuities departments completely. So it's like, okay, we can smell the blood in the water right now they've de-siloed <laughs> they brought them together <laughs> yeah gotta cut those bottlenecks out i guess so and then your first job that was prudential that was a long-term care thing where we had to raise the prices on uh the seniors that got a good deal a too good deal on their long-term mm. care insurance and that was literally what pushed you out um there was there was the bad taste in my mouth from that like being the explicit function of my job there but also it was like really busy and my boss who was like a real go-getter she ended up like getting in a car accident one morning because she was like so tired and stressed um from what she was doing there she she like rear-ended somebody and like got a it was not a very serious accident but it was like basically a good summary of like all that she was going through at that point i was like don't know if i want this and she and i were uh, on the elevator one day and i'm like how are you doing hannah she's like i'm actually really stressed out and <laughs> like i don't know about this um this is your boss yeah and 
eventually she took like a two week long vacation, came back and announced her resignation. And that's why they don't want you taking this. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. That's why they don't want you taking vacations like yeah. that. Yeah. You realize things. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> I was, um, I was just, it was funny the way that you phrased, I, I couldn't, I only barely did laugh, the, like, Groucho Marxian <laughs> phrasing that you had, it's like, she's a real go-getter, she got in an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I did say that. Rodney Dangerfield over here, but, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, so it is still, you know, it is only four jobs. It is still only an N of four. So I guess there's, there's play within there, but the overriding themes are <laughs> a resentment at doing work that doesn't fucking matter. Um, a dist not a disdain. Cause it actually sounds like you had a respect for both of your, uh, both Anna and, um, was it Anna or Anna? Uh, the elevator boss that yeah. was hannah hannah okay well i've got it anyway uh hannah and doug it didn't seem like you hated either of them you seem to have a respect for both of them yeah yeah i i respect so so hannah was kind of a long time ago but i i remember having respect for her and like having admiration for her and thinking like oh i i wish that i could care about this stuff one of the details i remember about hannah is that she like when learning the job and when she became my boss because she wasn't my boss at the beginning of my my uh, tenure there, but when she like moved from the life insurance part of Prudential over to uh, long term care, she would like voraciously take notes in her notebook, and I'm like, dang, that's awesome, and she like she got up to speed really quickly, and I'm like, I, I hope that when I'm that far into my career, like she was in like year three or four or something like that, she blazed through the actuarial exams. She was like, I don't know, valedictorian from some Ivy League school too. So oh, she okay. she'd like kick an ass. Um, I mean, I guess Prudential is the. I mean, is is there a, is there an organization that is like what is the hierarchy? of uh prudential is pretty well respected uh just like general top tier insurance company okay they yeah. do life insurance we did long-term care insurance although that was like you know ltc is like not a primary thing it's kind of like backwater kind of yeah. thing i guess but so yeah, it's not impossible to end up with people like that at a company like that i mean that's it's, it's got to be a fortune 500 company so. oh yeah yeah absolutely i i, I think prudential is fortune 100 yeah. um but yeah she she eventually moved on to new york life which is like in the same tier event essentially yeah. whereas i moved down into voya which is like not as well respected as either of those two companies but then uh, you made it out. It, well, yeah. And then, yeah. And then you made it to Europe. And then you made it to Deloitte. Yeah. Where you learned about disrespect. Was there any... <laughs> I mean, you basically did stand up for yourself at Deloitte. It just didn't last. So... Yeah, I, I, I saw that as like... Okay, so a couple of things about Deloitte was... I, I described 
getting the role at Deloitte is like being pulled back from the brink by the world. It's like, okay, I'm spiraling the drain and then I get this message on LinkedIn that eventually leads to the job. And it's like, thank you world, like that's awesome. Yep. And I'm saying that with no sarcasm or anything like that. It's like, I- I was there. I, I was, yeah, I was headed yep. for a dark place at that time. Um, but then eventually I was like, so Deloitte, like, are you confused about what a study program is? <laughs> Like when I when I got the job offer there, I emailed the recruiter and I say something along the lines of, so what are the details on the study program? And the recruiter says something along the lines of, what's a study program? Not quite that bad, but it was something close to that. And eventually the conclusion of that, that email conversation was, we'll get you details once you get in the door. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I skeptically looked at them. Um, so I remember rolling up for my first day at Deloitte and I'm like, well, I got this job, but I can just leave it in a week if it sucks. And now I've proven to myself that I can get a job now. So I'm feeling a little bit more confident at that point. And when I'm in the hallways there, I'm thinking, well, I can have this conversation and stick up for myself because... I can just leave and go somewhere else now. So I, I generally had a little bit more confidence like after successfully getting through that interview process. And once that got too obnoxious, you made your way over to FIS and you uh, worked in that. You were perfectly satisfied with that for a short period of time and that soured for reasons we've already covered. Yeah, we, we didn't explain the dynamic that COVID played there. So I was I was thinking like, I guess one of the reasons why I was able to, um, why the FIS situation didn't immediately sour or why it was okay or even good for as long as it was is the gear shift thing that you described to me one time. It's like you helped me recognize that just like shifting gears is a thing I like to do. So, okay, that's fine. But then another thing is like, okay, I'm just going to try and hold on to whatever society has given me here to try and make it through this like pandemic thing. Because it's like, well, if I start deviating from the path here and I'm stuck at home and like unable to date and like advance other parts of my life, um, for example, then I'm just going to start spiraling the drain again. Yep. And that would suck. So I'm like, let me try... Uh, putting some effort into this job and paying attention and going into monk mode, although that's not allowed. So don't do that, Matt. Yep. Um, and then you make it to here, um, after essentially that wears on you until, until it's not worth the hassle. Um, so thankfully you don't need to have an answer for what you're doing in the next six months. That's completely at your discretion. Um, supposed to be the whole benefit of being on sabbatical. Um, what would it take, I guess we'll ask this question second since it's kind of silly to go immediately into it. Um, are you looking for an adjacent field or are you looking, I mean, what? I, I guess looking's too strong. Are you expecting to enter an adjacent field. Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, one of the reasons I've been interested in, like, you know, continuing with the MVB build and, like, why I've been going on sailboats is because I'm like, well, maybe I'm just done with that kind of thing. And 
Like maybe I need to get away from being behind a computer monitor, behind a keyboard, because all that stuff is just going to get outsourced anyway. And probably better to like learn, you know, hands in the dirt skills for when like everything just gets off, uh, offshored uh, and the AI takes over like all actuarial work or whatever, like all, all of the programming work and so on. So I should be like ready to grow food and it, it continues kind of to floor me that AI has not taken over the actuarial field. It seems like the most obvious fit for it possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know, and that's one of the reasons why I'm like looking at profit and being like, why, why are we still doing this? Like, like this, this field is so ripe for distru- disruption that like there's no sense in continuing to learn this. This, this is like one of the I said earlier from from that journal reading that I am thoroughly uninterested in profit and that's part of the reason why it's like (laughs) this profession is it's bound to be disrupted over the next couple years at least that's that's how I feel about it that that might be totally wrong but yeah that's how I felt about it I mean organizations can last for a whole lot longer especially if they have certifications and that kind of thing I don't I mean I don't know what it seems it seems like it'd be harder to lock that down than it would be to lock down something like the medical or legal professions, which those are going to be almost impossible to automate because they have the two most powerful unions on the planet, but mm-hmm. the um, quasi unions. But um, no, I mean, that that seems inevitable. And that's that's inevitable any on. Um, like you said, anything that involves software. So if like, that's the thing that's bothering you, that's going to bother you wherever you go. The, the, you gave your reasoning for doing things like the MVB is related to this like long-term catastrophism, but it also, I mean, it, it seems obvious to me based on the lesson from FIS that you just mentioned that, I mean, that's, that is as almost radically uh, gear shifting as you could possibly go. I mean, you, you can't make much more of a left-hand turn than doing construction <laughs> after doing, um, actuarial science. Yeah, it, it's not totally voluntary, I guess, either. It's like, well, this project is in front of me and like I've committed to it on some level, so I want to get it done. Yeah. Like I explained to you yesterday, it's like, I, I want to have... I, I, I started this thing, I need to finish it. And it's going to weigh on me it has the potential to weigh on me sort of like the failure of Habitest weighed on me if I don't if I don't like see this MVB through to its completion so yeah I mean that's one of the reasons why I wanted to leave FIS too it's like now I'm gonna have more time uh, to work on the MVB which aside on that let's talk about drywall mud today right. uh, I put stickers like little book flag stickers on several of the seams that needed to be done and man, it was so motivating today to collect those little stickers on the back of the hawk as I continue through. Okay. So that's that's a, a good way to do that. All right. At least at least for me, it's like collecting little coins as you go. Yeah. No, that that's a that's a perfect tokenization. <laughs> uh, and, and it also like made it easy for me to see uh, to see my progress through the day, and to see what exactly needed to be done. So it took me like five or ten minutes. Um, identifying what seams I, I could potentially work on, like to tape and mud. Um, so I wouldn't have to go back throughout the day and like see like, okay, do I need to do that one? Do I need to do that one? It eliminated that question asking process 
uh, for the rest of the day. It's like, okay, I can see all the green stickers throughout here. It was very helpful. No, so cool. th thank you for helping me find that suggestion. Oh, well, I mean, I helped with the initial kick. It, but you, you, What I mean by that is, is um, you asked me this morning, so let me rewind a little bit more. I set this like this time bound thing for my schedule today and you suggested something along the lines of, well, could you have an objective goal as opposed to a time goal? So that helped me, that helped lead to like, okay, let me identify certain seams to do. And that helped me find the suggestion of like um, putting stickers on them, for example. So you didn't directly suggest the stickers, but you helped me find that. Yeah, and to to add a summary of that, the reason I suggested that there's I I have a dichotomy in the way that I think about things that is very false, but it was important for getting me through a handful of moments in the last four months that I alluded to that completely sucked at my job when it wasn't really possible to like make discrete objective progress. That's one of the weird things. It's one of the ironies almost of project management. Um, is I have so little control over when things get done um, that all I can really do is put in the quote-unquote work and I have to hope that the by the end of it the product is good uh, and that's infuriating but the way that you deal with that is that you you address things in the, one of the two um, abstract ways that you can address effort which is to either push or pull you can either go nose down and just dedicate yourself to a task and push your way through it or you can have a motivation pull you through it um but the problem is like i alluded those the, that's a false dichotomy because there are other ways to motivate yourself one of those is um what has been deemed gamification but is essentially just discretion it's having it, it's having an actual objective mm. um and that's not the same as being pulled by a motivation. That's you know, it's it's different. There's a difference between wanting to do something and knowing what you're trying to do. And I have been blinded by a need to either push or pull because that was what my job was. And you know, talk about going through the motions. That's exactly what that engenders. And I cannot tolerate working that way, <laughs> even if I'm reasonably competent to do so. Um, it's just, it, it gnaws at me. Um, so I'm trying to get more object oriented. That's hard to do when you work a nine to five job because your, <laughs> your primary objective on paper is to work for eight hours a day. Um, and that's bullshit. And I'm, I think I have cracked the code on that. Um, but we'll see. I'm still, I'm, I'm still, I basically have PTSD from having to be in that mode for so long. Is, is cracking the, is part of cracking the code to just crack down on the number of hours per week um and the number of meetings yeah, yeah and yeah, to just have the four meetings and, and have discrete objectives that i can complete yeah like yeah, sure it's just building that out like collecting stickers on the back of your drywall pan yeah but exactly it's it's having thing you know it's it's defining success in ways other than i i've i've railed against the hourly wage forever i think it's an extremely perverse incentive um to charge people by the hour mm -hmm. um I mean, I'm doing my job better if it takes me less time to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, I, I don't want to live in the corporate facade that assumes that there's any other way to do it. Like that, it's not true. I mean, you have to put in due diligence, and it does take a lot of time to do that sometimes. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to build a Goldilocks effect where 
I don't want to take any more time than things do take, but I also want to take as much time as they take. Mm-hmm. And I want, you know, I, <laughs> I, I want things to take exactly as long as they need to. Um, and the corporate world has an incentive structure that blocks you from doing that in almost every job, except for the one I'm trying to define, mm-hmm. which is interdepartmental, uh, bare, basically de-siloing of um, interdepartmental problems. Because you can't, you can't speed that up and you can't slow it down. Or you can slow it down, but it's, you know, I, I don't get paid by the hour. So I have no incentive to slow it down. I want the problems to get solved. And we're not going to run out of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that. Um, I also realized I'm basically just an in-house consultant is more or less what my job is. Which is awesome because it means I know what my next job is. <laughs> to be out, of out of house consultant. <laughs> but... Um, I've never felt, I, I haven't felt old or qualified enough to do that, but I'm hoping after this job I will. That's, that will be the next thing. Because a consultant. Get some gray hair dye. That's. And then actually put some pictures of yourself up. Well, it's, that's, that is a hurdle, but I, um, no, I don't want to make this, I don't want to make this about me. I, I know what I'm doing for the next six months for sure. I was just, um, we were talking about what you would choose to do. And obvi- it, it seems to me like just looking beyond the rationalizations of the world ending that the reason you would want to work on the MVB or go sailing is because it's nothing like anything else you were doing. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Um, so so I, I see like a lot of what I've been doing over the last, what, uh, my whole life as like <laughs> just getting stability in the world. And I'm looking now for some kind of balance in the other sense because it's like, well, I've got that stability now, but I'm so so I'm I'm wealthy in a certain sense, or at least I've got this like taste of wealth. So now it's like okay, I'm poor in many other senses. You're you're not so, precarious. If something if for something to upend your life, it would you would have to be like truly, inc- like a, a, a cr- tremendous. Wow, I am stumbling over this. We've been something cataclysmic would have to happen for you to be unstable where you are that's correct yeah um and cataclysm is sort of on the table in a certain sense it's like for for everybody i mean and that's that's kind of one of the things that was gnawing at me it's like like you mentioned this uh catastrophic thinking it's like i i i I participate in catastrophic thinking and i wish i mean so so do i not not on your level you do it you do it much more obsessively than I do. Yeah, but. yeah, and I I don't know why this is. I probably need to dig into this with someone's help. <laughs> but yeah, um, there you go. That's that's what I do, and I also have not like balanced my life out in some, in other senses, right? So I was talking about dating. I was talking to you yesterday about just like figuring out what it is exactly that I want to get out of life. Um, so I've got to answer these questions for myself and I've been like artificially putting my career that I can't answer any questions about, by the way, which is kind of funny, um, in the way of doing this, like, let's just get stability. And it's like, okay, you fucking got the stability, man. You're good. Yeah. But you're poor in these other ways. Please go fix that now. One of the ways that you're poor talking to myself still is, like in the capacity to actually get things done in the physical world, like execute in the physical world, like by building an MVB, for instance. Um, 
or leading others. So I remember when I was uh, I was on Castaway, Richard's uh, sailboat, when like a new person came onto the boat, and I was like telling him what to do, and I was like, oh, this leadership thing could actually be kind of fun. Too bad that I've never wanted to be a leader of any sort in any of the companies that I've been at. It's like, I don't want to be a fucking boss here because this, all this action that we're doing just sucks. So I would like to be a leader in a certain sense, but I don't want to lead any of the things that we're doing um, at any of the jobs that I've been working on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd like to develop these other parts of myself. Like in the journal entry, I earlier said like you take some take two to five years and work on these parts of you that have that you've let atrophy and that's what i want to do i want to do that like maybe it's on a sailboat maybe it's um when building a an mvb or maybe it's like there's there's a number of different things that one can do and i would like to try some of them so next six months that's sort of a taste of what it could look like for me yeah and that's that's i didn't want to focus on that specifically because that's that's in like instantaneous development so and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bias that when you have when you you have a latitude right now to choose those things that you wouldn't you you are unlikely to have until you actually retire so if uh, the the one that i'm i'm trying to stay hewed to is what it would make sense what would make sense professionally for you to do and not even I, I guess I started with I started with the actual profession in the sense of you know would you do something adjacent to it but it in the character of what you would choose to do um, there is a ton of open space I mean you have just the one profession I mean you did specialize so I mean, your your professional experience is that plus tech startup, um, work from home tech startup on Habitest. So the field of what the character of what you do next is extremely open ended. I guess I mean it really doesn't make a lot of sense to try to predict it from that, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of triangulation we can do besides the couple of landmines that we already covered. There's, you know, you would rather your boss uh, not tell you to act busy and not work on complete bullshit, which those are pretty universal lessons. But it's, you know, it it does probably rule some stuff out. Um, but, yeah, it's weirdly open-ended. I'm surprised. Am I surprised? I am surprised by by how inconclusive this debrief is. It is. Yeah, I I, I didn't really bring the lessons, so <laughs> that's on me. There were a couple. I guess there were a couple. I mean, the the problem is to take this to take this in the other direction is very depressing. Is of course you know this like what have I wasted all this time doing? But. We know what that is. You made money. That's that's what you wasted all this time doing. So I'm nodding my head. Yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah. And hopefully it was enough. It certainly seemed to have been, at least, judging against median statistics, it was, it wasn't a bad decision on that front. So, no. And you know, it it, it was an appropriate use for life. Like, 
in one's like mid 20s to early 30s like that's like if you're gonna try the whole like corporate thing then you know that's the one shot that you get to do it if you ignore that possibility in your 20s and early 30s then you kind of foreclose the opportunity to do that sort of thing ever or you make it a lot more difficult for yourself to do it so in that sense i'm glad i tried it and like i still have the door open to me to go back and try it again maybe in some kind of slightly different capacity like in the near future maybe not maybe if i ignore that possibility for five years and it is foreclosed to me uh, forever um but yeah like that's it's it's okay it's okay that i tried it yeah. i mean you did it wasn't just wasted time yeah no like, not, not at all and it, you you did accomplish you, you did achieve some objectives they were just not they were just heap objectives yeah and also if i can't make any objectives or lessons explicit right now <laughs> like actually talk through them and provide provide the listeners with the uh, the content that they want need and deserve they don't At deserve least, anything you don't deserve anything yeah i forgot about that but anyway um maybe they're like embedded deep deep down inside my brain maybe yeah probably but that makes bad television so you have to you have to <laughs> postulate about it for 90 to 120 minutes i mean there is only so much you can actually say so there is there's a lot of intangible nonsense there's a reason why 20-year-olds make shitty employees no matter how much they read. So <laughs> you do eventually just get better at this in some intangible way. I guess so. That we can't teach machines. So Not for another 18 months at least. Yeah. I'd always seen... There's, they still don't have any fucking self-driving cars. 18 months away. Permanently. Yeah. It's the new fusion. <laughs> like... Although I you were I am, watching a YouTube video the other day that that suggested that maybe fusion is only eighteen years away. Now. Well, they they made a massive material science improvement in superconductors that yeah. might make it viable much much sooner than it has been. Like they there have been the temperature or something. Yeah, the 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 temperature of the superconductor. Uh, I forget what the guy calls it. It's like rib something, but it's um. It's apparently extremely promising in a way that almost because every time they like make an advancement in fusion, it's, it's so incremental. It's the reason that's the reason why it takes like twenty five years for it to turn into something because you have to you have to assume that a breakthrough occurs that you can't even envision in order to actually make it happen. And apparently, apparently, something of consequence actually happened recently. So that's potentially cool. I want my free energy. Yeah. I don't actually know. I, I assume Fusion does the same bullshit every other technology. It's one of the most infuriating things about every technology is they just boil water with it. Like, I assume that's what they do with Fusion, too, is they just boil water. Probably just boil water. How the fuck just... is that the best way to generate electricity? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> so annoying. Power those turbines. Yeah, like... Uh... Anyway... I mean, with wind, you can at least like turn a thing and then electrolyze some hydrogen. Some this boiling water thing is for the birds. Anyway, that's a different subject, I think. Um, would you get into? Uh, would you get into uh, fusion science? Um, 
Uh, that's actually an interesting question. What are the odds that you would go back to school? Not zero. But... Uh, yeah. TBD on that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm kind of... I don't really... When I think about the possibility of like having gotten a master's or a PhD or something like that, I don't say like, oh man, I really missed the boat on that one. But from time to time, I'm like, eh, it could be a cool use of time to like go and study something like really in depth like that. So I don't know. Yeah. It would be nice if it didn't cost so fucking much. I would consider going back to school. It wasn't there so are PhDs that like pay you. Yeah, not know. much. That's but not not enough. I don't. Yeah. My point is that you wouldn't have to like for some PhDs you wouldn't have to pay a bunch of money. Although I'm not, I'm not sure about the uh, the possibility for getting into something like that. It's like uh, I I could have gotten into a good school, good PhD program when I was fresh out of a bachelor's program, but now I'm not. So I don't know what that application process looks like anymore, or what kind of. Um, what kind of programs that I could possibly get into? I'm talking about you too at yeah. this point. So I, I don't, I don't. And know I, I will like. actually concede to that point now that I think about it. I for some reason, for some reason, like I, I was aware of the. I mean, I have a bunch of friends who got doctorates and was aware they got compensated for doing it. But for some reason, I like totally discounted that in the calculus. It's still just that that still feels expensive to me. For reasons I can't entirely put my finger it's on. It's expensive in terms of the opportunity cost. I mean, you go from making something close to 100k a year to something close to 20k a year. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah, but, I guess but you're is... not you're not paying. Like like you wouldn't necessarily have to pay unless you're doing something. Yeah. That you can't get a stipend for. Uh, thank you for explaining my own logic to me. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, for some reason, I'm... What, I'm, the opportunity cost thing? Yeah, the opportunity cost thing. For some reason, that totally flew over my head. Um, that makes perfect sense. I don't know. All the things that I would want to get a degree in are the obnoxious ones that probably are actually radically expensive. Like, I... I don't know that I would want to practice the law, but for whatever stupid reason, I kind of want to get a JD. Like that just, that seems like a thing that I want to do. I can't explain why. Cause I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would want to practice the law. You don't have to practice it. You just like have that skill in your back pocket. But, but it is a massive pain in the ass to do, to get a law degree. Like it's not, it's not like easy to do. It's probably easy to do. I renege this. It's entirely possible. It's easy to get a law degree. <laughs> Maybe those people are all whiny, but but then you never know. Maybe you want to practice the law, right? You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. It could come in handy someday. Maybe it'll maybe it'll just come up. You just like do it for family and friends, like once every decade. I mean, really, what it is? It's the same reason I would want to get a medical degree. Is just an innate libertarianism that makes me want to be qualified to do everything sure. so I don't have to ask anybody else to do anything. <laughs> I'm so annoyed at the requirements. Insource everything. Yeah, well, that's... I, I'm so annoyed at the requirements for a general contractor's license. Like, you have to, like, actually work in construction to get one. Like, for a set period of time? Yeah, or? it's like five years. 
Holy crap. Yeah, it's okay. fucking bullshit. Um, Jacob might get one, though, so that'll be my loophole. <laughs> you just put on your Jacob mask before you sign the paperwork. Well, it's like, well yeah, no, like, Jacob just signs off on no, the work. Everything, so. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's actually, that was that was one of the arrangements. I was I was thinking, surely someone does this, even though it, it's it must be illegal. Um, but someone must offer the service where you give them, like, 300 bucks and say and they just come back when you're done and just sign off hey on looks it. good yeah exactly did you put all this do you put five screws in this sheet of drywall nope all right you're good anyway yeah no like so like just they just sign off on the thing it would basically be like a middleman for um uh not certification for permits for permit authorization um the problem is i can absolutely imagine that that job would become miserable because not everyone is like me where like as a cust I would be a great customer for that because I want the buildings to be up to code, but I'm, I would bet you would run into a lot of people who are not as concerned about that. Um, they just want to get it signed off. Even those things going to collapse on them on their mother-in-law. Yeah. Like in three months. Yeah. I bet that, I bet that would come up a lot why they built the building so that it will collapse on their mother-in-law yeah or they're literally doing that kind of sabotage but stupid chain of custody <laughs> someone something's got to be done about it i saw a sign on the side of the road that says we will pay you to let us fix your car windshield 50 to 250 dollars call today I was like, seems like a pretty good deal for yeah. them. I'm getting to that. Do a PhD in car windshield repair. Be <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent, yeah. Car mechanic. I don't know how much actual cert you have to do to be a car mechanic. Seems like you would need some on account of your repairing one of the deadliest machines in the country, but it's probably incredibly lax. Given that I'm pretty sure you can replace the engine in your car without like telling anybody. So at least in Florida, you don't have car inspections here. Yeah. No. Well, even in California if it passes a smog check, yeah, you're that's fine. True. Okay. Like it's yeah, you can, I, I guess I don't know what they're going to inspect, but yeah, it's yeah, just get, like the emissions and stuff. Yeah, you, what you can literally, you can change. I think the only thing you probably can't do is change out like the electronic control module or something. But you can, although no, you can flash it. Is there anything you can't do to a like? They can do it all. You just literally do whatever you want to a car. Yeah. That's weird. You just build your own car too. You could spend the rest of your life just building a car from scratch. Well, you you can't. It's it's hard to get. I've looked into this specifically, like the just build your own vehicle. It's way easier to just build on the um to build on the frame of a real car okay. to just build out from there because there's like something about getting it certified as road safe that's complicated when you it's it the process you is have more the complicated. But yeah, if you have the chassis of a car that exists already, it's not that hard to get it deemed road safe. Okay. But I don't think you need any certifications to build that vehicle. Like, I don't... This is strange. I feel like I'm just forgetting and hallucinating here. Because it, seem, it seems impossible that that's true. Because again, car, cars are one of the most regulated things out there. Like, 
the number of regulations around cars is bananas. But you can do whatever you want to them without a, without a license. <laughs> you just need a license to drive them. This is proof that we live in a simulation. Yeah, this... Anyway, I'm slightly off topic. As far as we know. <laughs> it may not be off topic. In six to 12 months. <laughs> just have like... We filled all the land behind this house with just random car parts, and there's like the whole tent city. Look, if my dad exists. has his way. Yeah, that's absolutely where we're at. Dude, so. he, he's he's started enough. Um, he, he's got enough concrete to like lay the foundation for the factory assembly floor. Yeah. Oh no, I, things are trending in that direction, and Hell kind yeah. of a the only thing that's not trending in that direction is permanent structures because. He's tried to build one permanent structure. It was the worst decision he's ever made. Again, tent city. You just yep. make a bunch of randoms. Not random. It's going to be like well thought out. But different sizes of tents. You have like the church tent and the hangar tent and the yurt tent. And like any number of other kinds of tents. for doing any number of kinds of things. One, which is to build these cars. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I work for Tesla. Work for us. Although I think they at least put the tent on a on a solid concrete pad, <laughs> which we would not have. I guess we could have. We could just pour. We know Semex's number. <laughs> That's true. We do. <laughs> um, hey, you guys want wet or dry mix? Wet it is. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We could just pour a thin layer of concrete where the where the yurt was. Just half an inch. You'd probably want like two, okay. but <laughs> just, just turns into gravel. <laughs> but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be too hard to do. And then you'd definitely not be able to put the stakes in anywhere. Weren't you having that? You were having problems with that, right? Like the dirt was too soft. Yeah, it was too too loose, and there was like not enough plant matter. I guess. I guess that's what the uh, the corkscrew stakes wanted. They wanted like more substantial uh, ground that like you know had sat there for fifty yeah. or well, roots years roots will resist coming yeah, up. Yeah. But I mean, if you if you just have little stakes, we could just drill holes in concrete to put them in. That sure. Would, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the way to go. It is the season for it. You just have to get that tent out. Pending. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, that's probably enough of that. What the fuck's on? Jesus, say 30. Yeah.